Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, have you noticed that life goes by awfully fast? It's like a you know race car roaring by about 200 miles an hour. It's gone. Or a, like when you go to the air show and that fighter jet sneaks up on you and streaks overhead 500 miles an hour. There it is, and then it's gone. Or even like, I don't know if you've been there, standing at the Niagara River and watching that water just rush and goes over the falls, and then it's what? It's gone. That's the way life seems to go, doesn't it? Um, in Psalm 90, I think it is, the psalmist says to God, teach us to know the brevity of our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom, a wisdom that we need. And, and uh, James wrote it like this. He said, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Life goes fast. And I think we've, the older we get, the more we understand that, right? It seems like life goes faster and faster. Um, <clears throat> As you do get older, you have the opportunity, and I, 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 you know, everybody who gets older doesn't get wiser. <laughs> but we do have the opportunity to, to become wiser as we get older because we have a, a bigger perspective. And so we can start to look at our lives and, and evaluate and see some things and learn some things about choices we made and how that affected us, and so we understand how our choices are gonna affect us going forward. And so but this is where I wanna say to you that, um, it's better to learn to think like an older, wiser person while you're still a younger person. <laughs> and you can do that. The, the Word of God has this wisdom in it, and your brothers and sisters in Christ have wisdom that they can share with you. Um, because what happens as you become older and, and hopefully wiser, you look at your life and you start to understand some things about your choices and how you got to where you are today. Because when you look back on your life, if you think about it, if, there, if, if there's some really good things in your life today and you're enjoying a lot of things in life, things are going well, if you really look back and evaluate, you can see that there, there were certain choices you made along the way that helped to bring you to that place. Or, or you may be here and you're saying, well, yeah, you know, life isn't terrible, but it isn't really great, and I've got some things I kind of wish were different. And, if you look back on your life, you can say, oh yeah, I see where I've made these choices that helped to bring me to this place. And then sometimes we, we look at our lives and we have these huge regrets and we wish our life wasn't the way it was and you know, things aren't good. And we look back on our life, we can see that there were choices that we made along the way that brought us to this place. Now, just real quick before I forget to say it, understand that the good thing is is that we can make choices today that will take us somewhere too. In fact, we will. But we can make choices that will get us to a better place than we are in today. Um, but you might say, you know, yeah, but what about circumstances that are out of our control? Have you ever noticed there's a few things in your life that are out of your control? No, you haven't. There's a lot of things in your life that are out of your control. <laughs> And sometimes those can be big, you know, really difficult things. But we, we've all heard stories of, of people who've had terrible, devastating things happen in their lives and, and right, kind of just ruined their lives and, and they never recovered and they just lived with 
defeat the rest of their lives. But we've also all heard of people who had terrible, devastating things happen to them who somehow rather they overcame those, right? Or that may have even been a launching point for a new growth and new things that they did in their life, and God uses them. But what's the difference between those two, the ones who were just devastated and never recovered, and those who seem to excel? What's the difference? It was the choices that they made in response to those things. And so as, as we can... As, we look at this as older, wiser people, we can see that, man, our choices really matter. You know, they're what bring us to where we are today, and it's choices we make today that will take us where we end up in the future, which is why it's better to learn to think like an older, wiser person while you're still a younger person. So you can make more choices that will get you where you really want to go. Now, what I want to do this morning with you is to consider that here we stand on the last day of uh, 2017, right? And so uh, we can look back at this past year and there's benefit from that, but what I want to challenge you to do today instead is we, we have this year that lies before us, but I don't really even want to just sit here and think, okay, well, that's out before us, what do I need to do? What I want you to do is to think today about 365 days from today. Right? Those are going to go by fast, aren't they? Just one right after another. Okay, I want you to imagine a year from today looking back on 2018. 2018 that's now in the future, a year from now you'll be looking back on it, which is why I titled this sermon Back to the Future. I want today for you to look back to what is now still in the future and consider how we ought to live our lives. And what we're going to do is, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we are going to uh, see how the Apostle Paul looked at his life uh, in uh, 2 Timothy, that letter. It's his last letter that we uh, believe that he wrote before he was beheaded for his faith. Uh, he's writing to Timothy. He's challenging Timothy about responsibilities. And then he begins to talk about his own life and how he lived his life and what he experienced because of it. And so Paul is looking back on his whole life. But what I want us to do is to imagine a year from now, looking back on 2018 using the same framework that Paul looked back on his life, okay? Because when we do that, we say this is where we wanna be, then we can go back and start moving forward through this. So let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter four, page 1368 in the Bible that's there in the chairs. And as always, we encourage you, if you don't have your own Bible, to pick up one of those and follow along, page 1368. <coughs> Chapter 4, verse 1. Paul is writing to Timothy, a considerably younger man than he is. He says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, Preach the word. Okay, so Timothy was also in the ministry. So he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready when it's convenient and when it's not. Con <clears throat> convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Hey, Timothy, it's not gonna be smooth sailing. There were gonna be people who are just not gonna be open. They're gonna turn away, but what do you need to do? Verse five, but you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. All right, so there's his charge to Timothy. You know, go for it, Timothy, and, and pursue your life and your ministry in these ways. And now Paul turns and begins talking about his own life and what he has done and what he has experienced as a result of it. Verse six, he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. As Paul writes this, he is sitting in a Roman prison and he is, uh, he's already been on trial for uh, preaching what they consider to be a cult faith, right? Um, so he's on trial for being a Christian and preaching the gospel. And he's saying here that I know my time's just about up. I'm not gonna survive this, and he didn't. Verse seven, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So he says, so it's interesting, his thought is turning now to what lies ahead when this life ends. That there's reward there. The Lord is gonna reward me for having lived this way. And then he picks up on some practical business because well, he doesn't know exactly how long he's gonna live, so he's just trying to take care of some things. He says this, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. What a sad thing that is, huh? Love this present world. And he goes on to tell some others who, who moved on for different reasons. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Antichicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Then he says, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. So what he means there is he, in this imprisonment, he's already been called before, I don't know if it was actually called before the Emperor Nero or some lower echelon uh, leader, but he had to, to already stand up and face the accusations against him. And as he did, nobody, nobody came. None of his brothers in Christ came to be with him there. How would you feel if, for some reason, you got called uh, before the government, before a courtroom, because of your faith in Christ and you're trying to be faithful to Christ and you get called and none of your fellow church members showed up. That'd be hard, wouldn't it? Well, that's what Paul experienced. But he says what? May it not be charged against them. Don't hold this against them. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, as Jesus hangs on the cross, what's he say? Father, forgive them. They don't understand. They don't know. And so we see a Christ-like attitude and, and spirit here in the Apostle Paul. 
Then he goes on and says what he did experience, though, even though nobody else stood with him, verse 7, he says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Know this, that if no other human being in your life um, stands up and supports you, Jesus will, right? He's the one who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Every human being at some point fails, don't they? And doesn't always do what they ought to do, but the Lord never does. He's always there and he says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. In other words, he enabled me to talk and to explain what I believe. And so the Lord, why does the Lord strengthen us? Does the Lord strengthen us so that we just won't feel bad? Well, I think he does help us with that, but why does he strengthen us in hard times? So that we can do what will honor him. So we can do those things that he's entrusted to us. And it's a very, very hard time, but he will strengthen us to be able to do it anyway. Then he says, also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. In other words, I haven't been put to death yet. I was at that point, but they decided not to yet. Verse 18, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever, amen. But verse 18, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. Does Paul think he's getting out of this one alive? No, because earlier, what did he say? I'm being poured out and the time of my departure is at hand. It's here, it's, it, it's it, you know, here in the foreseeable future, it's coming. So when he says he's going to deliver me from every evil work, what does he mean? He doesn't necessarily mean he's going to deliver me from the problems or deliver me from uh, this hardship or deliver me from being put to death, but he is going to deliver me from every evil work, anything that would prevent me from being able to do what he wants me to do. Isn't that good to know that there's nothing that the Lord will allow nothing to happen in your life except what can be used for his good purposes in your life? Boy, that's good to know, isn't it? It's comforting, but it's more than that. When something really bad does come into your life, what do you know? What do you know? What you know is that I can glorify God in this, because if I couldn't, he wouldn't have let it happen. I can believe God in this situation, because if, if I couldn't, he wouldn't have let it happen. So whatever comes into your life, you can know that you can make choices that will honor the Lord and you can do what he's given you to do in those situations. Because you're strong? No, because what? He is strong. That's what he said up there. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. All right, so we see here um, the Apostle Paul looking back on his life. And what I wanna do with you is to, to consider this framework of how he looked back on his life and apply it to us. In a year from now, will we be able to look back on this year and say the same things that Paul was saying, okay? Because it sounds like he had done pretty well, doesn't it? Well, we wanna do well. So let's go back to verse number, I think it's six. Yes, he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. So he's saying, my life is about to come to an end. But he uses an interesting uh, an analogy there, a picture. He says, my life is already being poured out like a drink offering. And this is foreign to us, but the Jewish people, you know, they had all sorts of offerings that they would bring to the uh, temple to make, you know, uh, animals, birds, uh, produce, 
And one of the things that they would sometimes bring as an act of worship to God was maybe the wine that they had got or, or maybe fresh spring water or whatever. But they would take it and actually at the altar just pour it out before God and say, I'm offering this to you. And what happens when you pour that out? What's it do? It's, it's now what? Gone. I mean, you could put a lamb on the altar and you could take the lamb back, couldn't you? Uh, I mean, you weren't supposed to, but you could. But when you pour this out, you don't get it back, do you? Okay? And so what he's acknowledging here, this, this drink offering is a recognition that this, when they're pouring out, this belongs to you, God. This is for you. It's not, not me. It's not mine anymore. I'm going to skip that slide, next slide there, okay? So I'm going to skip on to it. What we need to settle is what Paul is really saying here. My life belongs to the Lord. Now go ahead to that, Stephen, if you would. My life belongs to the Lord. See, I'm like a, I'm being poured out. My life is his. I belong to him. Um, let me see here. Do you remember what the scripture says when um, Paul's asking, he says, don't you know that you have been bought with a price? When, when Jesus died for us and, and when we received him as Savior, he did what? He purchased us. We belong to him. And it's crucial that we live. If you, know, if you don't settle this issue in your life, that my life belongs to the Lord, it is not my life to live however I please. Now, he lets you choose. But his intent is not that you just live your life however you please. His intent for you to say, my life belongs to you, Lord. It's all yours, and I intend to live it the way you want it to be lived. The, and I don't know all how to do it, but that's my desire of my heart. My life belongs to you. And if you settle that, then all sorts of other things can fall into place. But if you don't settle that my life belongs to the Lord, nothing else is going to fall into place. It's just not going to work because to live the Christian life requires you recognizing that your life does not belong to you anymore. It belongs to the Lord. And if we are going to look back after 2018 and look at this year, it's crucial that we be able to say, yes, I live my life as though it belongs to the Lord because it does. That's how I have lived. All right, so Paul goes on from there, and he says, I have, oh, wait, wait a second here, my brain just did a, I have fought the good fight. Fought the good fight. How many of you, at some point in your life, had seen the movie Rocky? Okay, I don't know if you liked it, but to me, as we've watched that, and, and it's, uh, remember how Rocky, in the, that last fight against Apollo Creed, and he just, what, he, he just keeps going, he keeps going. He, and you think, there ain't no way he can get up again, right? But he gets up again and he, he goes on and on. And um, when all is said and done, he's still standing. And I think, you know, that it's inspiring watching that. You know, you're rooting for him by the time it's done, right? And the bell rings and he made it. And, you know, and, but Rocky could say, I gave it my all. I fought the good fight. I gave it everything that I have. Do you remember, there's a saying that athletes have when they talk about it and challenge it, don't leave anything on the field, right? 
Make sure that you've used every, you've, you've given your all. Give it all that you've got. And that's the way we have to live our lives. So we're going to look back on 2018. We want to be able to say, I gave it my all. And by the way, that is the only logical way to live your life. C.S. Lewis, a Christian thinker, talked about this. And he said, Christianity, if, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Okay? Because if Christianity is true, it demands what? All. And if it's not true, doesn't matter. Well, it is true. But the problem is that far too often we try to live our lives like it's moderately true. We, we have our lives all planned out and try to sort of plug God in. You know, the Lord talks about this, and he talks about his, he has no use for a moderate Christianity. And he said, you are neither cold nor hot, talking to the Laodiceans, you're neither cold nor hot, you are lukewarm, and I will vomit you out of my mouth. And this idea of hot and cold, hot doesn't mean good and cold means bad. He's talking about, there's great uses for hot water, and there's great uses for cold water, right? Be, go to the extreme. This is, give it your all. Don't try to be in the middle somewhere. Um, so I gave it my all. How do you live your life then when you're giving it your all? Well, when you're giving it your all, what you're doing is you are saying, Christ first, my life belongs to the Lord. That's what this means. That's what this requires. And then, I plan all the rest of my life around that. I plan when I sleep and when I get up around what God has for me to do. I plan when I leave the house and when I come back. I plan, and I know we have jobs and things that set schedules, but if that's what God's got you doing, then that's part of how you do what he wants you to do. But the idea is you plan your life around your relationship with the Lord and his mission and what he's trying to accomplish through you, not the other way around. It, it's not about you know, looking at our lives and then saying, okay, I have to do this and this and this and this. All right, now where, where can I plug in this church thing? Where can I plug in my relationship with the Lord? Let, let me give you an example. It's easy to take this book for granted. But this book is not just any book, is it? It is the word of God. It has been given to us by God. He inspired it. The words that are here are alive. In it, he reveals himself to us. He reveals his heart to us. He reveals his mind to us. He, he shares his wisdom with us that would help us to make good and wise choices. Uh, he inspires with it. He challenges us. He convicts us with it. It's alive and powerful and it goes deep down inside of us and, and shows us what's really going on. If... I'm giving it my all. I have to be in this book. I have to be reading it and I have to be pondering it and studying it and learning it and understanding it. I have to be talking with the Lord about it. I have to do this. But here's the thing. If you got your life and it's all planned and I gotta go to work this time and I get up at this time and I, and I go and I come home and I do this and this and this and this, 
Oh yeah, I need to read my Bible. You won't be giving it your all. It has to be like this. You have to say, okay, you know what? And, and none of it, like I said, things happen, sometimes things out of our control, but whenever it's in my control, and most of this time this is in my control, I say, I have to be in this word. So let's think about tomorrow. Tomorrow's coming, first, first day of January, 2018. I say, I have to be in this word tomorrow. If I'm going to give this my all, I've got to be in here tomorrow. All right? When am I going to do that? And I need to figure out, okay, when am I going to do that? And plan accordingly. And then plan the rest of my life around it. Do you understand what I'm saying? This can't be an add-on somewhere. It needs to be a first before. All right? Um, I don't think I need to elaborate on this. I was going to, but I think you get the idea, right? We're going to give it our all. It has to come first in every area of our lives. The next thing that Paul says, he says, I, fi- I finished the race. I finished the race. Uh, back in 1968, the Summer Olympics were held in Mexico City. Um, Mexico City is a fairly high elevation city. And so they're running the marathon. And, and it's pretty challenging to a lot of people because of the altitude and things. But nonetheless, you know, a little over two hours, the, the, the leaders start coming into the stadium and running that last bit around the track like they do in the Olympics. And, you know, their place is cheering, you know, thousands there watching. But while this was going on, way out on the, the race course someplace else, there was a man named John Stephen Anquari from the country of Tanzania. And he had somehow rather managed to injure his knee and it damaged his knee. And there, the race official tell you, you need to stop. You know, you just, you, you need to stop running. And he refused to do that. No, so they bandaged up his knee as best they could. And he kept going and hobbling, hobbling. And several hours after the leaders had come in and pretty much everybody was done, almost everybody in the stands gone, here comes the inquiry, hobbling in and finally across the finish line. And when they interviewed him and asked him, uh, why did you do that? I mean, because everybody would have understood, right? If you stopped, I mean, he said, well, my country didn't send me just to be in the race. They sent me to finish the race. Well, the Lord has called us to finish the race. And so as we look back on this year, 2018, we, like the Apostle Paul, when I say I finished the race, the idea is this, I didn't give up. I didn't Give up. And I can guarantee you that there will be plenty of things this year that will make you feel like giving up. Uh, the Apostle Paul talked about this. He's saying, I finished my course. I didn't, didn't give up. I mean, I finished the race. didn't give up. But also in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves saying, what's the point, right? Why keep going? But he didn't give up, and he says that as a result, he learned that he could trust God in ways he never knew that he could because he didn't give up, but he felt like giving up. Our Lord and Savior felt like giving up. In the garden, remember the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's facing the cross, he prays, he says this, he says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. 
Let this cup pass from me. I so don't want to have to do this. Speaking as a human being, I so don't want to do this. But he says, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. See, I'm not going to give up. You know, this year, as you're going along in life, it may be things like your car breaks down again. And you feel like just giving up. But don't quit. You, you may find yourself with health problems that just nag at you, or big health problems, something that changes your whole life, and you feel like, what's the point? I, got, I just give up. But don't quit. You may find yourself in strained relationships in a marriage relationship or a parent-child relationship or even a close friend, but this relationship is so strained that you feel like, what's the point? I don't want to give up. Don't quit. Don't give up. Whatever comes into your life like that. And by the way, people do quit all the time. I've seen it many times over the years. There are people who their life just gets hard and it's understandably hard. And next thing you know, we, they're just gone and we don't see them for months and maybe never again because they just gave up. But don't give up. We gotta become like the Apostle Paul who as he knew he was headed for persecution and eventually his own death, talking to the other preachers in Ephesus, he said to them about what was coming in his life. He said, but none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things, any of these things that come up, none of these things are going to move me because I have to do what God has given me to do. I have to do that. And that idea of what God has given me to do brings us to the third thing that he said here. He said, I have, um, my brain is just going out of, Yes, for I'm already being, no, excuse me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Kept the faith. And I think the idea of this is this. I was faithful to God. As I look back on my year 2018, there were certain things that God had entrusted to me as a steward, right, as a manager. And I can look, I was faithful in those things and with those things. I was faithful to God. In 1 Corinthians 4, it says, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. We need to be faithful with whatever God has entrusted to us. Well, what has he entrusted to us then? As we live in this, one thing he's entrusted to us is our personal relationship with him, right? He's saved us, he's forgiven us, he's moved in, he's there. And he calls us into a growing relationship with him. And so we need to be faithful in that. I already talked about that, right? Getting into the word, spending time talking with the Lord, meditating on the scriptures, uh, making the choices that would honor him, pursuing this relationship with him, responding to him as he works in my life. I need to be faithful in this. I can't set that aside. This has to be there. It has to be first. Uh, another thing I have to be faithful in are my beliefs. We have to be faithful in our beliefs. Now, some of those are easy to be faithful in, but there are some beliefs that the Bible has that we hold to that are not politically correct today. Right? You can probably think of several like that. 
But the, and so we are tempted to kind of step back from those beliefs, you know, not, not you know, want people to know about this. Whatever, we can't do that. Jude said, defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time. You have to be true to it. We be loving, but we cannot, if we're going to be faithful, we have to hold on to those beliefs, all of them. All of them. You have been entrusted with other relationships, your marriage, your, your parents, your children, your friends, your co-workers. What does the Lord want you to do there? You think, well, this person in my life doesn't know the Lord. Well, what has God entrusted? He's entrusted to you both the gospel and this relationship, right? I need to be faithful in this relationship to pray and to be open and ready to talk and, and to share the gospel when I have the opportunity. I need to do that if I'm going to be faithful. Uh, maybe as someone who is already a believer, but what they need is they need to be encouraged. They need to be uh, lifted up or whatever needs to happen. But I've been entrusted with these things. Uh, all of your resources, which means all of your stuff and all your money, God has entrusted that to you. And some of you say, well, that's good. I don't have much there that he's entrusted me to. Whatever, it doesn't matter, right? How much, of you, how much of your stuff are you supposed to be faithful with? All of it. Whether you have a little or a lot. Doesn't matter. But he's given you, he's entrusted you to use for his purposes, his kingdom. Uh, opportunities that come your way. You know, if, if you're saying, God, I want you to use me in my life, I, I belong to you, I want to, you know, give it my all, I don't intend to give up, I want to be faithful, he's going to give you opportunities to share your faith, to help someone, to stand up for truth or whatever it is. We need to be faithful to those opportunities. It's crucial. And then Paul says this. We saw over there... He's saying all these things, and then he says this, that the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He delivered me, and he will deliver me. So I was faithful to God, and then what? God was faithful to me. Such good news, the Lord is faithful. That's what the word says, right? The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. First Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, he who calls you is Faithful, who also will do it. Now, let me say to you, we, we're saying this, okay? I was faithful to God, and, and then God was faithful to me. God is always faithful to us, even when we aren't faithful to him. But how we experience that can be a lot different. Because when I am not faithful to God, he is faithful to me by allowing me to reap what I've sown to experience the consequences of my choices so I might learn and grow. He's faithful to let that happen. He is faithful sometimes to actually bring chastisement into my life because he loves me and wants me to grow and learn and do better. So he's going to be faithful either way. But what I'm talking about is this idea that Paul says, man, God was, I was there all by myself, but God was there with me and he strengthened me. I knew it. I experienced it. God was real. He was there. And we start seeing, you know, God doing God things in our lives, things that maybe we come to understand or some miracle that he works or, or whatever. And all this big God stuff that we would so like to see, if we want to see that, we have to be faithful. We have to put ourselves in the mix. We have to go out on a limb for the Lord. We have to take the risk. 
It's not risky with the Lord, but it feels risky. We have to do that. And let me tell you what happens far too often. Christians are wanting to experience all of this God stuff without being faithful themselves. And it just doesn't work that way. We be faithful to God. God will be faithful to us and show himself strong in our lives. And so as we look back on 2018, we want to be able to say, you know, yes, that it's, it's clear, my life belongs to the Lord. And this past year, I gave it my all. I didn't give up. And I was faithful to God. And man, you see what God did? God was faithful to me. Don't you want to be able to say that a year from now? All right, so let's walk back over here to the last day of 2017 with this year lying ahead. What needs to happen in your life for that to be reality? What decisions do you need to make for this to be the way you live your life? What, what do you need to start doing that you're not now doing? What do you need to maybe keep doing and strengthen? What do you need to stop doing? Something that ought not be there. What do you need to stop? The thought here is, is what do you need to do starting today, tomorrow, and the next day to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer? You got to do something. If you aren't sure what it is, talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ about it. Talk with your life group about what do you think this means in my life. Talk with your pastors about it. Talk with any spiritually mature Christian, but say, God, I, this is what I want to do. I want to be a doer of the word. I want to live my life the way the Apostle Paul lived his, so that you be honored and glorified in me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that we will become doers of it in a greater way than we have before. I thank you, Father, for many in here who already are serious about their lives with you. I pray you'll encourage them in it, strengthen them, that, that this year, 2018, will be a better year as far as their relationship with you goes than they've ever had before. I pray, Father, you'd help us each to see clear what it is we need to do to be a doer of the word in this way and that we would yield ourselves to you to do it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. God bless you. You're dismissed. Go have an awesome 2018. And hopefully I see you before the year's over.